Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Welcome back, friends. It's your host, Holly, and I'm glad that you guys are here on this lovely Monday. If you're listening to this on a different day that's not Monday, I hope whatever day it is that you are having an amazing and beautiful day. However, today is Monday for me, which means all you OGs on the podcast know exactly what that is. Missing Mondays. For those that are new to the podcast, Missing Mondays is a segment that was created to help keep missing persons' name and information in the media the best we can and to hopefully help aid in their return home. 90,000 people are missing in the U.S. at any given time, and while some are found alive or deceased, the majority are still missing today. Often with these cases, we see a lack of information out there. However, here at Crimeaholics, we believe that no matter how much or how little the information is, it's still important to share. Someone out there knows something, and it just takes one person to come forward with information to help solve these cases. People may not realize that they hold a key piece of information, or they may not realize that they saw something that they didn't realize was important. That is why we continue to share these stories in hopes that it will be heard by someone that can help. Being that we live in the United States, a lot of our cases that we cover are heavily from the U.S., but when we find cases or get case suggestions to others from outside of the U.S., we try to cover those as well. Because our following is literally worldwide, which I just want to say is absolutely crazy to think about and to look at our analytics and see where all we are being heard. It's pretty amazing and there's just so much power in social media. There's so much power in podcasting and YouTube and all of that jazz. With that said, make sure you check out the description of this episode to find a link for our case suggestion form. In there, you can suggest a case that you'd like to hear covered on the podcast. I get a lot of messages and comments on Facebook and TikTok with requests, but truly the easiest way to ensure that I will see your request is to fill out that form. Okay, so with all of that said, let's shift gears and get into today's episode. Today's case is coming out of British Columbia and is on the disappearance of Brianne Wolgram. Brianne Ruth Walgram was born on March 25, 1979, and at the time of her disappearance, Brianne was 19 years old. She was living in Revelstoke, British Columbia, when she went missing on September 5, 1998. 
Brienne was described as someone who was soft-spoken and sweet, and many people thought that Brienne was this shy and timid young woman. But those who knew Brienne the best said that she was actually quite the opposite. She was very outgoing with her friends. She was this incredibly funny and goofy girl who loved to laugh and just have a good time. And while Brienne was this fun girl, she was also an incredibly hard worker and was maintaining two jobs. She was working at the local McDonald's as well as a place called the Old Frontier Super Save gas station. And both of these jobs of hers were located on the Trans-Canada Highway in Revelstoke, British Columbia. Now, Revelstoke looks like a cute little town that is located in the southeastern part of British Columbia, Canada. With the population in 2021 being just under 8,300 people, I'm assuming back in 1998, it was probably a little smaller than that. So it is a fairly small town. I know it's not like a teeny town, but it is smaller in the grand scheme of things. Revelstoke is east of Vancouver and west of Calgary, Alberta. It looks like an absolutely beautiful and scenic area that is surrounded by mountains and forests and has even been the filming location for several movies and shows, including a 2017 Hallmark Channel movie called Frozen in Love that starred Rachel Lee Cook and Neal Matter. From what I learned about Brienne, her childhood was just your normal childhood. She was raised by her mother Cheryl and father Cliff, and she had two older brothers named Troy and Todd. At the time of her disappearance, Brienne was still living at home, but her two older brothers had moved out and started their own lives. As I said earlier, she was 19 years old when she went missing, and she was truly just your average 19-year-old girl. She was a hard worker with two jobs, but when she wasn't working, she was doing what most teenage girls do, which is hang out with their closest friends and just enjoy life as a carefree young woman. Because of her growing up and going to school in Revelstoke, plus working those two different jobs, having older brothers, Brienne had a wide variety of friends and acquaintances that lived there within the town. While in high school, she played sports and she enjoyed working out at the gym. As most young adults, Brienne also attended parties on occasion, and occasionally she would drink. But everyone who knew Brienne said that she was never one to smoke cigarettes or do drugs. She also didn't have a boyfriend or was romantically involved with anyone at the time of her disappearance, but she did have a few guys that she had crushes on, that she flirted with, and so on. But like most women, Brienne did have dreams of someday starting a life with someone. She wanted to get married. She wanted to travel. She wanted to have children. But before doing all of that, she had dreams of going to college. As I've said several times, Brienne was a very driven and hard-working person. She had been saving her money to purchase a car which she was finally able to do just before she went missing. She was so incredibly proud of this car, too. It was a black Acura Integra with gold-colored rims, and it was her absolute pride and joy. 
the car was in pristine condition and she was so dang proud of it that she made sure to always keep it clean and squared away. It was her baby. She spent that summer of 1998 before she vanished driving around in her new car, blasting the Beastie Boys, hitting up the rocky beaches, and picking up Slurpees from the local 7-Eleven. On September 4th, 1998, the day before she went missing, Brianne worked the late shift at the McDonald's. After wrapping up at work, she went to hang out with some friends, and it's unknown as to what exactly happened during that time that she was hanging out. But the following morning on September 5th, Brienne went to her shift at the gas station, and her co-workers said that she seemed like there was something wrong on that morning. She wasn't her typical happy, cheerful, carefree self. She seemed down and like something was bothering her. She was quiet, and at one point during her shift, she even began to cry. And Brienne never came out and told anyone that day what exactly was bothering her or why she was upset to the point of crying. She just kept it to herself and continued about her shift. But whatever it was was clearly bothering her enough to affect how she was going about her daily life. Now, Brienne's mother, Cheryl, said that, quote, she had a quick cry about it, then got over it end quote. And I'm not sure whether Cheryl knew what was wrong or if she knew how her daughter handled things typically, but again, it's never been said what exactly was bothering her. So that kind of leads me to believe that Cheryl maybe didn't know or maybe Cheryl didn't think it was a big enough deal to share or if it had any kind of relation to the case. When Brianne got off work from her shift at the gas station around 7 p.m. on that evening of the 5th, she decided that she was going to go home and lay down for a nap. Her parents had been planning to attend a barbecue with some family friends, and initially it seemed like Brianne had plans to go as well, but she told her parents to go ahead, go without her, because she just wanted to lay down and take a nap. So this all took place during Labor Day weekend, which means a lot of things are usually going on during that time. September 5th, 1998 was a Saturday, so the weekend was in full swing. And just like in America, in Canada, Labor Day weekend is also spent hanging out, barbecues, parties, and just enjoying one final long weekend before the summer is over. And even though Brienne had planned to take a nap after her shift, she also still planned to go out and hang out with her good friend, Christy Kane. Christy also worked at the gas station with Brienne, and she told Brienne to pick her up at the end of her shift at 11.15 p.m. on that night. Christy also requested that before Brienne picked her up to grab some wine coolers for them so that they could take it to the parties that they had planned to attend. So that was the plan. Brienne was going to go home, take a nap, get herself ready to hang out with Christy and friends, pick up drinks, and then go pick up Christy before heading out for a fun night. When Brienne didn't arrive to pick up Christy from the gas station after her shift, Christy waited around for a little bit before calling Brienne's house to see where she was. Christy spoke with Brienne's parents, who were home by that time, and they said that she wasn't home. 
They told Christy that they were under the impression that Brienne was headed to go pick her up. When Cheryl and Cliff learned that their daughter never made it to pick up Christy, they instantly began to worry. The next day on September 6th, the missing persons report was filed, and four different witnesses came forward stating that they had seen Brienne on that night. These four individuals said that they had seen Brienne at the local 7-Eleven on the night of September 5th between 11 and 11.30 p.m., these four people that came forward and stated that they saw Brienne all knew who she was. So it wasn't like they were random strangers that said that they thought that they saw her. These people knew for sure it was her because they knew her personally. These witnesses also all stated that Brienne wasn't alone at the 7-Eleven and that she was seen talking to three different women. Unfortunately, all of these witnesses were unsure who those other women were, and I couldn't find if anyone had recognized them at all, but I'm going to assume that they didn't. But these three people Brienne had interactions with never came forward to say that it was them, and it's now been nearly 25 years later, and nobody to this day has came forward to say that they were the ones speaking with her on that night. Which I find really odd because with how much attention this case received in 1998 in the smallish town of Revelstoke and the surrounding areas, it seems like it would be next to impossible for these women to have not heard about it and come forward being like, hey, it was me, I saw her, this was what was going on, and so on. So it definitely makes you wonder, who are these women? Now, they were able to create a composite sketch of all three of these women because of the four eyewitnesses. I will have a picture of these sketches on our social medias, so make sure that you're following there. But I'm going to go ahead and just give kind of like a brief overview of what they looked like. One of the women was listed as standing at five foot four, and it was said that she had a chunkier or heavy set build. She had shoulder length brown hair and was wearing jeans, a white t shirt, and sandals. The next woman was said to be five foot ten with a slender build, very short reddish brown hair or possibly tied back hair that made it look like it was short, and she was said to be wearing a floral ankle length skirt with a white short sleeve shirt. The last woman was said to be about five foot six, slightly overweight, short, dirty blonde hair, and she had earrings in her right ear and a nose ring. There was nothing that was listed as far as her clothing or what she was wearing. Apparently, there was also no surveillance footage at this 7-Eleven, which is completely frustrating considering that this is a convenience store and they typically have some sort of surveillance even in 1998. So... This entire interaction between Brienne and these mysterious three women is completely unknown. It's unknown if these women were known to her or if they approached her for a reason. There's just so many questions about this entire encounter that cannot be answered without these women coming forward or without surveillance footage or without Brienne being found alive and saying what had happened. 
it would be five days before anything connected to Brienne or her disappearance would be discovered. On September 10, 1998, 19-year-old Brianne Woolgram had been missing for five days when her beloved black Acura Integra was discovered in a large ditch off of Echo Lake Road, which according to Google Maps, this road is about a 28-minute drive from the 7-Eleven. It appeared that there was some damages to the front driver's side of the car. Outside of the car, they found a package of Colt cigarettes, a can of Budweiser, and an empty air freshener package. Inside the car, they found one yellow and one red air freshener hanging from the rearview mirror, a beach towel, one pouch of cigarettes on the console between the driver and passenger seat, a six-pack of Blackberry wine coolers, and the dash and outside of the car was dusty. They also found that the passenger door was ajar as well as the passenger window was open. Brianne's keys were found in the ignition, but it appeared that they had been in the off position. And they also found her wallet with her driver's license and $200 cash still inside. Of course, the authorities looked over the car both inside and out, and they said that they were unable to lift any kind of fingerprints from the inside of the car due to it being overly dusty, as well as the textured surfaces within the car. There also allegedly was a shoe print found outside of the car, and it's been reported that it was a size 11 men's boot print. But what I find odd is that they stated that it was only a partial print, so no cast was ever made of the shoe. So how exactly did they know that it was a size 11 if it was only a partial print? And this seems like a point of confusion for not only the local people within the area, people that look into this case, but also for Brianne's family as well. There's a website dedicated to Brienne and updates for her case that I believe her family runs. And on this website, they post about different meetings that they sat down and had with the authorities. And they're very detailed in their posts, and they specifically write out the questions that they plan to ask or that they did ask to the authorities, and then they write down the response. And then, of course, they share this to this website. And when reading over some of the stuff on the website, it appeared that the shoe print thing was one thing that they didn't seem to get a clear answer on from authorities. The website did state that someone told them that it could have been due to the area being dry and dusty that they were unable to get this cast of the shoe print, or maybe that there had been dirt that got moved around onto the print that made it difficult to figure out the model or the make of the boot. Obviously, there's a lot of unknown in regards to the shoe print. Obviously, we don't know who it belonged to. Uh, We don't know if it belonged to anybody that is connected to this case. But all in all, there's just a lot of questions that I think never got answered for her family in regard to that print. 
Now, when the media caught wind of where Brianne's car had been found, there was one more witness that came forward stating that in the early morning hours of September 6th, he saw a young woman matching Brianne's description walking up the Echo Lake Road. This man said that this woman was alone and he didn't see anyone else within the area. He claimed that he had said hi to the woman as she was walking, but she did not reply to him at all. And I have so many questions. Again, there's a lot of questions in this case, but I have so many questions about this potential encounter. I feel like if maybe Brienne had been in some sort of trouble or some sort of accident, she would have asked this guy for help. She would have told him that she crashed or that she needed a ride or something along those lines. And maybe she didn't because she felt uncomfortable or scared being alone in the early morning hours with a strange man. I didn't find any mentions or comments about what this woman's mental state was when this man allegedly saw her walking. I feel like if we knew whether this person was disoriented or upset in some way that maybe we'd have some more ideas of if this was Brienne or exactly what had happened, but we just don't have those answers. When Brienne's car was found, and even prior to that, the police and volunteers did massive searches for her. This area is filled with thick forests. There's bodies of water, lots of trails, and plenty of places that a person could get lost in. They busted out all resources in the search for Brienne, including helicopters, dive teams, experienced search and rescue teams, as well as dogs to track her scent. There was differing reports on how the dogs reacted. It was stated that the dogs tracked her scent three meters away from the car, while other reports stated that it was tracked to a street called Front Street. Either way, we know that these searches led to absolutely nothing, and there has been zero traces of Brienne found beyond her car being found five days later. This case is extremely frustrating because the lack of information out there. And I'm not sure if that's because the authorities are withholding information like they often do to protect the integrity of cases, or if the information is just not there. The information that was released back in 1998 is still the same information that is out there today, with nothing new having been released in the last 25 years that has nearly gone by. Which is so frustrating for those who've followed the case, and of course for her family as well. Her family remains hopeful that something will be found and that they'll get answers. Now, when considering some theories, there's several that are out there, and one of them was that whatever happened to Brienne happened at the hands of someone who isn't a local to that area. During that Labor Day weekend, there was also a softball tournament that was taking place, which brought in a ton of people. That may explain why those witnesses that knew Brienne had no idea who those other women were. Maybe these women approached her for a quick ride, and it ended up being a trap. Maybe she invited these women to go hang out with her and Christy that night, and again, something happened. Maybe they tried to hijack her and take her car, and she tried to fight, and they did something to her. 
To me, there is a lot of potential scenarios here and just not enough answers to have a solid theory one way or another. There's also questions about why was the car on Echo Lake Road? Was it pushed into this ditch? I mean, that is something that I myself question because of the fact that the car keys were in the ignition, but they were in the off position. Was someone trying to hide the car after they did something to Brienne and pushed it down there in this remote area, hoping that the car wouldn't be found? As I stated earlier, there was some clear damages to the front side of the car, but they weren't significant from what I can tell. It didn't seem like she was driving and plowed into this ditch hard from the damages that I could see on the car. I feel like had she hit that ditch at a significant speed in an accident, that there would be a lot more damages done to the car. So that makes me question if maybe the car was just pushed into the ditch. But what exactly would the motive be here if these women, or anyone for that matter, were involved in her disappearance? The only thing that I could come up with in my mind is the possibility of a sex trafficking situation. Did these women lure her away from her plans and then she was transferred over to some sex trafficking higher up person? I feel that that's a potential possibility due to there being absolutely nothing of Brienne found. No shoes, no clothing, no jewelry, nothing. I don't think that robbery was the motive here because she still had $200 in cash in her wallet and her car wasn't stolen and taken very far. We then have to consider the situation of why she was upset on the morning that she went missing. What happened on September 4th to potentially cause her to be upset the following day? Is there a connection there? Is that what happened to her? Was it a guy? Did she run into him after that random conversation with those three women? Was she distraught still over what happened that she threw all caution to the wind and went wild with those three women? There's just not enough information to lean towards one theory over another, and our minds can continue just going wild thinking of all of these different scenarios. I am totally interested in hearing what you guys think, or if you guys come up with a scenario or a theory yourself that you think could have happened. But one more thing that I do want to point out was the fact that there was these cigarettes found outside of the car as well as inside of it. Brienne was not a smoker. She was known to be the girl who refused a cigarette when offered. So whose cigarettes were those? Clearly, she had to have had someone else in the car with her. This family is so desperate for answers on what happened to their beloved Brienne. Each year on her birthday, her mother, Cheryl, lights a candle and places it on her porch in hopes that it will help guide Brienne home. They have a website that they share information and pictures on, and they also have a GoFundMe page to help raise money for a reward for information on her whereabouts. Those links will be linked in the description of this episode, so you can check them out, as well as donate to her GoFundMe if you wish to do so. At the time of her disappearance, Brianne Walgram was 19 years old. If she's still alive today, she would be 44 years old. 
1998, when she went missing, Brienne was five foot two and weighed 130 pounds. She is a white female with light brown curly shoulder length hair. She often wore her hair tied back. She has blue eyes and a birthmark on the back of her right leg. She was last known to be wearing blue jeans, a white t-shirt, and black sandals. Her family is asking that if anyone is in the area of Echo Lake Road in Revelstoke, British Columbia, and you stumble upon any clothing or jewelry, that you please turn it into the Royal Canadian Mounted Police Detachment in Revelstoke. They also ask that you please mark where you found it because you never know if it could have belonged to their daughter. If you or anyone you know has information on what happened to Brianne Wolgram on September 5th, 1998, you can contact Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477, or you can send in tips to tips at mcsc.ca. On the Find Brienne website, they also have a section where you can fill out a contact me form with information and they promise that they will respect any and all anonymous emails. This family is just hoping for answers and to finally get closure and to bring their daughter home, however that may be. Unfortunately, that is all the information I have on Brianne's case. I know this is a shorter episode and I hate that there isn't any new information out there to share or any kind of updates. I will continue to watch for case updates on this case and hopefully they will get answers soon. 25 years is far too long to go without answers and my heart goes out to everyone who knew and loved Brianne. I am sure they feel her absence every single day. Crimeaholics, if you're not already a part of our private Facebook group, make sure you find us by searching Crimeaholics Podcast Discussion Group. In there, we share all information and pictures pertaining to the cases that we cover, and we also encourage all of our members to share all things true crime. You can also find us over on Instagram at crimeaholics.podcast. And if you'd like more true crime content, you can follow me over on TikTok at the same username of crimeaholics.podcast. And lastly, if you wish to follow me personally, you can find me on Instagram at crimeaholly. Crimeaholics, that is all for this week's Missing Monday. I will be back on Friday with another murder case for you all. But until then, be aware and take care.